to another episode of Three Wise DM, the podcast for three dungeon masters. We've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Honey. It's the same old, same old situation. It's the same old, same old ball and chain. Isn't it, though? Sometimes. I good Vince Neal nasally whine in there a little bit. Is that is that Motley Crue? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dr. Oh, yeah. Good. Their best one. record ever. And one of the finest live shows I've ever seen in my life. I've never been to them. It was amazing. They this were all makes smack you... and everything else, and they came out lean and mean, dude. And they were like, oh, Christ, yeah. They were ready to fight. And that is what makes you DM Dave, the rock and roll DM of the Three Wise DMs, the guy who's been to and played in many concerts over his lifetime. Uh-huh. I, don't, I, don't, I think you've been on stage more than me, Tony, combined times 10. Although I've been on stage a fair amount in business context. Yeah, it's a lot. It's excessively too many. And a lot of times stages that I just shouldn't have been on because there was no reason for it. And we should have just stayed in the van or something. <laughs> back corner of a bar somewhere. Yes, I feel like that's a story all by itself. And for the record, I preferred Theater of Pain as my preferred not the clear album. But I digress. Good record. Good record. But no, it's no Dr. Feelgood. No Dr. Feelgood. Smoking in the blues room. Okay, I'm showing my age. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have an aside-filled night tonight. I can already feel that coming. But that's okay, because what we're really talking about today is how do you alleviate boredom in the game? When you have veteran players, sometimes I'm one of them. Sometimes Tony's one of them. We talked about both of us being one of them before. Sometimes you get bored. And sometimes you have a game that sets up where a player brings a character that is highly optimized, and it turns out to be boring for them to run. And they're not challenged and they're looking for a way out eventually. Like the player mentioned in a piece of listener mail that we got just this week. This comes from Larry H. And it's kind of the crux of what we're discussing here. Okay, three wise guys. I think it's fair. It's a fair way, fair way to, to reference us, I think. I'll allow that one. Yeah, it's a nice little, you know, it's a little play on words, you know. Yeah. I like that. You know, he's being funny. He's the double entendre, as they say in France. <laughs> Here's my dilemma. I'm running my first D&D 5e game and have three players. Two are still trotting along and having fun, but the party artificer is rarely threatened in combat due to his high AC and almost always uses the same attack every round, and they've expressed boredom with his character. We're at level 10, and I'm wondering if it's too late to let him revamp his character, and I'm looking for advice on how to handle this. Please and thank you, Larry H. So, you know, I think this comes up a lot. And how you deal with it can, there's a lot of different ways to deal with it. I will say, I always let a player revamp the character if they want. My experience has been that sometimes when you let a player revamp the character, they still wind up bored in the end. So I allow it always, but it doesn't always solve your problem. So what do you guys think? What kind of experience have you had with bored players? Well, if the player is bored, are we talking into the flavor of the campaign or we're saying specifically combat, which seems to be the analogy they're doing here? So if the it's boring for that player because combat's not challenging because they're unhittable, okay, if that's really that simple, there's other ways to come at this player. Attack their ability scores, their weak saving throws. I mean, what, what is this player's damage output like? I mean, mm-hmm. is this, does Artificer have a rapid-fire bazooka? I mean... Use tactics, change it up, 
don't always break come in like, okay, well, there's three of them. So I'm going to have the same formula. I keep recycling Get creative, use different monsters, more obscure ones, make some up. And, you know, and just to clarify, the one issue mentioned is the high AC. So the person's nearly unhittable, which actually I've run into in some of my games. Like if you have a barbarian, you might hit them and deal very little damage. If you have a paladin or somewhere heavily armored fighter, you might not be able to hit them. And yeah, as Tony mentioned, you can come around armor class. There's a lot of ways to get damage through oh, yeah. armor class. Area of effects and ability score hits. Absolutely. The other thing this person mentions is they're using the same attack round after round after round. I can relate to this because there's times when I was playing Phineas the Warlock where I found myself just constantly Eldritch Blasting. You know, you've got your Agonizing Blast. It deals a ton of damage. You're doing two or three of them per round, multiplying a Charisma bonus. There were times that I was in a situation where I'm like, well, with the spells I've selected, there's nothing else worth doing. I need to just keep Eldritch Blasting and, oh, okay, I'll just keep doing this all fight. And that is boring. Now, as a player, I handled that. Like, this was never Dave's problem. Right. I handled that as a player with the the Warlock lets you change up your abilities and your spells all the time. Like, every time you level up, you get to make, like, three or four changes. Not even including the new stuff you get. You can swap out a lot of things and swap in different powers. And that's all built into the character class. So when I face this as a player... What I did was I was just constantly like, all right, well, that last level was boring. What can I bring in here that's going to be more fun to play with and more effective in our games? And it sounds like this player isn't interested in doing that because I know the Artificer also gets to change a lot of stuff. Artificer is the only class that's allowed to change cantrips, actually. No other class has a way to swap cantrips in and out, but the Artificer does. And that's totally unique to them as far as I know. So yeah. like, there's options here. There are. And that's the that's the first. I mean, there's this is a great topic, but the, just off the letter itself, when I saw this, I actually went and talked with Bonnie because she's been playing an artificer. The first one that we ever had in our 5e games, first time we played with the class. And I asked her, like, I, I gave her the question and she said, I don't see how anyone could be bored with an artificer because of the amount of options and choices that are constantly being made. Not just spell selection and cantrips, but even your infusions, your ability to create magical items, your ability to change these things. So regardless, that's somewhat so, neither here nor there sometimes. Well, actually, I think that is relevant, but I can actually, I know this player. Like, not personally, I don't know this individual, hmm. but I've played with this player before. You know what's going on with this player? They're a min-maxer. Stated, yeah. stated in the in the email. They have found the optimum combination of armor class damage avoidance and damage output from their point of view. Right. And the thing is when you're playing a min maxer, when you, when you are a min maxer, when you're someone who wants the optimized best version of this class, you often build yourself into a corner where you're like, yeah, that's what I want to build. But now I'm doing the same thing all the time because I've over-optimized my character, which is yeah. one of the dangers of over-optimization. But I think that's what's going on here. Cause you're right. Bonnie can find a hundred things to do with artificer. Like I said, with warlock, I self-correct. With yeah. the Warlock, I'm like, all right, well, that last level was boring, but that's on me. I never blame you. That's yeah. on me. Pull more interesting spells. Find interesting stuff. Like, there's other options. Yeah. A min-maxer doesn't really think that way. They want to optimize and have the best possible thing out there. When they think they have it, they expect you to challenge it. And I think it's a little different. I would not leverage this player to change the character in any way they do not want to. Because they built their character around it, the level 10, a lot of investments in it, for sure. I think that would be super uncool. Well, they are saying they are saying that the player wants to change the character, and one of the DM's questions was, should they allow it? If if they they feel that's really the answer, but I want to try this from a completely different angle, and that is feels like this is like a very combat driven 
campaign where like that's the crux of it. Like, that's what they show up for. They show up for these battles, and in these battles, this one character just spams this ability and the board never get hit. Honestly, that was a lot of what Phineas did. I mean, really, his meat shields roll up, kick the crap out of whatever's in front. I mean, there was one battle, I remember at Ravenloft, where uh, Scar and I were getting like triple teamed, but we we're still holding the line, and you're sitting back at a table, like eating a sandwich, like, shooting over people's shoulders. Yeah. But, you know, I that's actually say... that's exactly what I was talking about, though. That actually, I remember that battle, and I literally had Phineas roleplay was saying, yeah, he literally lays on the ground like he's like Brett Michaels in Playboy, and just starts throwing Eldritch Blast out there. But from you guys' point of view, that's what I wanted to do. I came out of that battle feeling like, I'm kind of bored with this. I got to make sure I have interesting spells to play other than Eldritch Blast. And I made really a huge point of leveraging the ability to swap spells and invocations as a warlock. Because as a warlock, you can swap out invocations every level. You can swap out spells every level. You get new spells. You get new invocations. I leveraged that to make the character more interesting and give myself more combat options. Because part of the problem was I had actually picked a lot of spells that were very non-combat focused that weren't coming up. So I picked into more stuff that was combat focused. But that was actually my reaction to it, because I know exactly what you're talking about. I want it to be more like, OK, well, they're holding the line and I'm going to throw an area effect on the other side of them. I'm going to throw something weird on the other side of them that's going to affect the battlefield. Like, I didn't want to be face to face, but I wanted to have interesting impacts in combat, not just sit back and just Gatling gun Eldritch Blast. Because that's what I will. What I will add to this, too, because Tony did bring up a good point. And there's several things that we're uh, we, I think we can get into that we've all dealt with both as players and DMs in this type of situation, whether it's a min-max or just someone who's bored with the character. But Tony brought up a great point right in the beginning about tactical stuff, you know, yeah. changing up. So, yeah, AC is is there, and barbarians are a lot of times unhittable and unkillable in some ways. But I'm thinking back, we just wrapped up Strahd. We just talked about it ad nauseum, right? So, but we were going with six players. That's a big party. This party that Larry's talking about is three players. So three level 10 players. So you want to you want to rise the tension on this artificer. You want to make them think outside the box, destroy their two compatriots, knock them to the floor if they are hittable. And then <laughs> let's see what the artificer pulls out of their ass, because now they're going to have to start pulling into those infusions. They're going to have to think about the potions that maybe they made or they didn't make Whatever it might be, you know, it depends somewhat on their subclass, too. But this guy is almost certainly an ar an armorer. It the, sounds the, like it. Yeah, yeah. almost yeah, certainly shield master armor. or, or armorer or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of options. And one of the ways to do that by making him think outside of the box, Tony's brought this up before, too, is you throw enough at players. That's when you see them really reach down deep and come up with some interesting ideas, you know? Yeah. So that is one thought, tactically speaking, to uh, to to shake them into uh, some uh, enjoyment or some non-boredom. You know? well, the threat of death can sometimes change that. <laughs> yeah, the threat of death, that'll make you less bored right there, right? Mm -hmm. Just to build on what Tony said there, you know, I find in 5e you can sort of do whatever you – you can take out whatever player you want to take out. You just got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Like you mentioned, barbarians can be unkillable. You know what? We have a barbarian in one campaign. I brought out a Flynn. He hit her with the paint with the psychological damage pain mace because that does psych damage, and no one's no one's uh, as far as I know resistant to psych damage. And boom, she went down. Like, well, I, uh, yeah, 
with Tony's character Hawk in the final battle, I Strahd, I had him prepare a spell. I think it's in Tasha's. I can't remember exactly what it is. It might be Mind Spike or something. Yeah. Um, I think it might be a something else. Anyway, regardless, it does psychic damage, and it does a mass amount. And even if you fail, half of that is still big. It was something. What was it like five or six d10? So yeah, that'll wake him up. No, that that was that was positively fabulous. That's why I think As, synaptic static for Phineas, because synaptic static is just that. It's a, it's a psychic fireball. Yeah. Even if I am a totem warrior for life, but it looks like a character that do it far off track. Add to what Dave was saying, those oh shit moments. So when we were playing in Woodstock Wanderers, where we had been through several very lengthy, difficult challenges and ran into damage. That was, in that mm. entire campaign up until that point, that was truly the oh shit moment. Because then players start need start to start digging deep, looking at the resources, thinking about what they can pull together, who's got what left, Who's got this item? Who has this ability? Can somebody flank this monster so the sneak attack can go off? That is the moment where players get shined or they go home, you know, in lunchboxes. Yeah. Well, what happened also in uh, Curse of Strahd on on, uh, uh, Yexler Hill? Yesler Hill? Yester. Yester Hill. Because Yester Hill, we had like, we felt like a thousand barbarians around (laughs) us, plus this giant tree monster. And there was a point where, like, we're out of stuff and people are dropping and there's still, like, 25 barbarians charging us. And I'm literally scrolling down Phineas' character sheet like, oh, my God, I'm out of stuff. I've got no tricks left. Oh, there's that Pipes of Haunting down in the bottom of my backpack. I'll try that. And it scared everyone away. Like, that's like exactly what Tony's saying. Like, if you get them into deep water, then you start to see if they can sink or swim. Then that's when that min-max is going to feel challenged. Although, if the min-maxer doesn't feel challenged but starts feeling cheated when you make it too hard, that's a red flag. So keep uh-huh. an eye out for that. Sometimes they do that. Sometimes the guy who's bored because it's too easy is then it's not fair when it's too hard. And that's kind of a different issue. Hopefully, that's not what you're dealing with here. You know, easy ways to make it a lot harder on them, if you want to up the difficulty in your campaign, focus fire. Like Tony's saying, take out his companions. We had a com- we had in a combat in the Woodstock Wanderers where the, the, the way it broke down, I kind of like, egged the party into rushing in and one of the party members rushed in in the front with a rapier and not a very high armor class in like three corpse flowers just beat the hell out of them and yeah i could kill that character i could basically kill that character outright outright at any time i wanted from the first round you know if you want to challenge these guys focus fire on who you want to take out now at the same time it sounds like you have it sounds like this like larry h has Two players who aren't hardcore min-maxers and one player who is. So he has the challenge of he needs to challenge this min-maxer without making the game too hard to be fun for the other players. And that does make it complicated because in Woodstock Wanderers, we as we've talked about, I am very good at making combat encounters hard and sometimes the party doesn't enjoy that flat right. out. Right. You know, because we have a lot of we have a lot of kind of more casual players in that group. And that's something you got to balance here as you're trying to handle this. Well, you know, if uh, those players enjoy a good Marvel movie style battle, then, you know, then uh, that then you're in the right place. That's fantastic. Uh, Another angle to approach this from is start putting out scenarios where combat isn't necessarily the best option. So it's Mm. an option throughout. Okay, so this is one goblin or whatever. And if you deal with that without perhaps stealth or without some diplomacy, you kill this creature off. It's going to bring down a shitload more of them from the surrounding area in a flood. Don't, if it's just like, hey, I roll up on the board, there's monsters, we fight them, we move on, that can get dry. 
make them analyze every situation and go, what is happening here? And perhaps hey, combat may not even be your first option, depending upon what you're dealing with. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things, like, I love to have what I call boundary encounters in my games. The boundary encounter is the old, okay, your third level, and there's the ancient dragon. Is that the highest level dragon we have now? Oh, yes. the uh, red caps at level three. That's what you have. That was not, no, that was not a boundary yeah, encounter. A, a boundary encounter is an encounter they can get out of. <laughs> throwing, throwing, throwing six, throwing six CR2 red caps at a third level party of six players is not a boundary encounter so much as it's just, you know, a mess. Hilarious. Yeah, no. It's just I, a learning I, of the CR system. That, that was that was, and I've owned up to that. I, I I did not understand how CR worked at the time. I have learned. I've learned from my mistakes. Now, yes. now, now I get you there the right way. You know, and I, I now I beat up the party the right way, not by just overpowering them. Mm-hmm. But a boundary encounter is like there's a monster you can choose to fight. It's gonna be it's too hard. You shouldn't be able to win this encounter. So okay, do you want to try to fight it anyway? And your min maxer gets this huge challenge, and maybe everyone dies. Or they have to come and deal with it a different way with diplomacy, like Tony's saying, or by maybe by sneaking around it, tricking it, something. That boundary encounter that is, okay, you shouldn't go over here, but if you do, you're going to need to really be on your AAA game to pull this off one way or another, is really good for challenging players like this. I agree. Now, I will say, like, so the min-maxer thing is definitely a portion of it, but I think that there's more to it, too, even in the sense that 10 levels, depending on how you're playing. Now, we've talked about how 10 levels in Storm Kings takes you about, you know, three months, right? The way if you're milestoning, right? Depending on how long you're playing. Or 10 levels could be the way Woodstock is, where we're two years in, you know, and we're, we are hitting level 13, right? I just gave you a level. You can't no, keep no, 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 no. No, but you know what I'm teasing, right? I'm teasing, yeah. But yeah, but 10 levels is a long time. And I think, especially with something like a min-maxed character or a character that is built as an optimized build for the class, right? And not necessarily for the character, for the story of the character and who they are and what they're doing in this world. Ten levels can be a long time, and not every character is enough to last that distance, you know? Some characters are good for, are phenomenal for a one-shot, but you're never going to want to play that for you know, five or 10 levels. Some characters, for instance, like we've just talked about, Little One, Bonnie said she kind of never wants to fully let go of that character because she found one that's like, it just it just goes. You just hit yeah, the button like playing, and it yeah. goes. You never want to let it end. She's talking so, about that just in last week's episode. Exactly. So I think there's some of that, and I think we've seen that in some of the other games. The one I'm thinking of that comes to mind first uh, is where Scott decided to retire Hasbin, the wizard, and bring in Adelard the Bard, the the elven Adelard the Bard. Oh my God, um, <laughs> I just caught it. Um, but the the elven Bard after we we went to the elven city of Loch Lauren. So he retired Hasbin, and because he was kind of, I think he was feeling a little frustrated with some of what he could and couldn't do maybe with the character. So he said, you know what, I'm going to go with something that I can really get into the fray with. You know, maybe something, he plays Adelard a bit more like a martial character. He does, you know, yeah. He gets right up in there, and I think he likes that as opposed to just being able to fire from the back lines and area of effect stuff. So there's something to be said about that, that some characters, they have their time in the sun and then they ride off. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. So you asked in the beginning about revamping. Yeah. yeah, 
But you can also just say, you know what? What if you brought on a new character, you know? Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I wanted to get to. We should real, real, I think we should deal with it point blank. Mm-hmm. When and how much and how do you let characters either revamp their characters or just straight up come with a new character? Uh, for that, I remember in 4E, when I was playing in uh, Indoor Campaign Thorn, and I designed a wizard. I, I designed Cassidus. And by the time I hit around, ironically, 10, 11, 12, I'm like, what the F was I thinking with each choices? <laughs> I, I'm like, I must have been on drugs. You know, like, I, you know, actually, not at the time I was not. But the point stands that these were bad choices. I'm like, I could do so much. Not even forgetting mid-maxing, like I could do so much better because now it was we were very green to the system. Yeah. I had a much stronger understanding of how because uh, that gave you exposure to targeting ability scores and how those spells could specifically affect them. Um, and the options were much clearer at that point. So what you did, Thorn, was you let me revamp Tacitus. I mean, he started out as a, I was leaning hard into multi-classic warlock, and he was kind of like trying to be a bit of an invoker, even if he wasn't. And then I turned that all around. I'm like, yeah, I'm dabbling with warlock, and I'm a blood mage. And that was what I wanted, because that campaign, he played for level 30. So in his situation, I'm very sympathetic, because it's like, hey, not happy with your character level 10? Oh, you could grind out those last 10 levels real fast. We'll be done in two and a half years. Yeah. it. You don't want, in my opinion, and I generally make it very easy for players to respect their characters, whether they want to bring in a new character or in retire the old one, or whether they want to just kind of just say, hey, I'd like to rebuild him. Now, there are tools in 5e to do this. You have retraining tools on almost every character class in 5e that let you adjust your character as you go. Like I said, I did that with Phineas a lot. Mm. But if a player comes to me and says, look, I don't like my character choices. I want to do something different. I'm going to just ask a couple questions about why and just make sure I understand what they want to do with it. And that it like makes some that it's not just kind of like, oh, I want to be a coffee lock. You know, make sure it's not entirely just min-max focused. And then I'm going to say yes. Like, I really have no problem at any time allowing a player to totally rebuild their character if they want to. And I don't think you should, because like Tony said, ten lo- you might be locked into this character for another two years, the way we play. Well, it's true. And also, there's two aspects of it. Well, there's three, actually, from three examples I have. My earliest one is Matt, my brother, had a character, a dwarven fighter in our Pathfinder campaign. And we were playing, because we were just new to Pathfinder and learning it, so we were playing the basic classes. I literally had a fighter, wizard, rogue, and cleric. That was it, like the original the original Beatles, right? <laughs> so he was a dwarven fighter who was a badass. It was awesome. It was Fiongol, Lachlan. He was great. He was this Scottish, just badass, right? But as we've seen in any system, fighter is a class that has that ability to get a little stale after a while when other people are quadratically, exponentially improving their class and you're still casting, you know, great axe or fist, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's like if you pick that champion fighter, but you're someone who wants more options, the champion fighter is great in some ways. Yeah. But for me, I think I'd get I think I would love to do it for a little bit, but I think over the course of a campaign, the champion fighter would bore yeah. me. You needed something like Battlemaster. Yeah, or Eldritch Knight or something. Yeah, something like I played Battlemaster. Chances, yeah. exactly, with, with Zhang. So 
with what I did with him because he didn't say anything and he was still enjoying the game. But I decided to give him options by introducing a completely invented thing where I introduced to him a familiar from his his lands. And he was, in essence, like it was the it was the sign that he was now the heir to the throne because his father had died. And my hope was that in the end, when we if we went further, it was going to be this whole murder mystery about him. But I introduced this crow, Hugin, who had a couple different abilities that he could was utilize. Was Hugin in there too? No, but I totally pulled him out of it. Yeah, it was one of Odin's <laughs> ravens, right? But I gave it that to add some level of like, here's other toys to play with. Like we've talked about the t- shiny toolbox. When someone wants to dabble and retool, I'm also very sympathetic too, because if you're only playing in one campaign, this is going on for a significant period of time. So you may really not have another opportunity to jump into another character. And I have been in other games where I've just rolled a new character and showed up, and it was weird. Not always, but like, if, like for example, I did this in one of Thorne's games where I was kind of, like I played the wizard, I didn't really, for like a good block of time, I'm like, let me play a warrior of some form. And I just made a ranger, and he just showed up. Oh, like, hey, I'm this ranger. I know you're like, 19 games in but here i am you've got my bow you know that's not nearly at yeah why what is your motivation other than you want to try some neat shit for a game or two and then duck out well that adds to my second example though because that was kind of exactly what happened with hasbin you know scott wanted to retire hasbin he had kind of reached his goals hasbin never wanted to be out adventuring he was a doddering old fool who was kind of grumpy Right. He wanted to amass a level of wealth that he could go and live out his final years. It was like scent of a woman. But, you know, as a wizard, you know, he just wanted to have that final blowout. Right. His his, his teeth may be much pointier now after the trip home. Yes. As we as Thorin definitely foreshadowed in a couple different texts to the party. His Um, flight path was passing over vampire infested lands. Let's just uh, I don't know exactly what level we were. I want to say we were probably around seventh level. Uh, We were about mid. We were right in the middle area. We were definitely past fifth, but before tenth. And he brought in Adelard. I think Thorne, you had him roll him up as that level, as the level we were. And he came in, and to tell you the truth, it breathed a, a level of of revitalization into the campaign. I think in the same way that Tony, when you joined last Christmas with Erasmus, it breathed in some new life because you get that point of, oh, hi, who are you? What's your backstory? What is with this guy? Do we trust him? Do we not? Same thing. Or when Vic joined with, uh, as not changing the character, but as a new player. So in essence, that new character it is a way to help breathe some some life, not only into your enjoyment of the game as the player, but in the, the game itself. And one thing I'll, I'll just say about Hasbin, there was some awkwardness when he first came in. But in addition to that, Hasbin, I mean, not ha- um, I'm sorry, Adelard. But Scott, the player behind Hasbin and Adelard, well, he brought Adelard in and immediately started literally singing songs to the party. Yeah. Like custom made songs. He came in and had a custom made song about the party's exploits ready to sing to the party when he met them. Like things like that sure help smooth over awkwardness. You know, it's <laughs> he came in revitalized and he brought it to the game. He plays a song like every other game now. 
Like yeah, that's he, cool. Scott is gonna, playing the pen, the ultimate bard. Absolutely, he really is. Absolutely, and like in that energy he brings to it, and the, the songs are clever and they're fun. I give him and I give him obviously DMX. Uh, every time you make a song for the game, you can get a DM inspiration. You, you will get one. It's, it's, at, it's, least, it's at least absolutely getting a DM Maybe inspiration every time he does that. And but that attitude and that freshness, as you said, yeah, really helped smooth that over. I have seen success by adding a new player to a group that's existing or as in not just the, not the party, but the group itself, mm. where if you've had players who are a little stale together, adding a new person, the dynamic can actually really make a difference. Yeah. But also along with that, they're at a very small party and that's difficult because you really need players. You've got a lot of people doing a lot of heavy lifting. Everybody's really got a way that they can do a lot of role play, a lot I meaning you don't get to have off days in a three person campaign. <laughs> you just don't. Yeah, right. You can't really you check out for one game, right? <laughs> like in a seven party game, mm-hmm. you can check out a little bit and it's fine. It'll smooth over by next one, but not with three. Yeah. No, and I think that's a much more difficult, shall I say, formula to maintain for success. So let's dig into this a little bit because this is in my games, and this is a little bit the style of my DMing. If I tell a player they can come up with a revamped character, I don't want no guff from the other players. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just to play, you know, maybe that's just my 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 attitude towards the game. I expect the other players to respect what that player wanted to do. But do you think that's a problem? Do you find that now this is not a sense this is not me being sensitive to everyone's needs. This is me saying, well, you know, this is from my point of view saying this character, this player needed this to enjoy the game, and I'm all for that. I want you all to enjoy the game. I'm not sympathetic to, oh, what this player did ruined my game. That, that, that's not, a, we've talked about this before. That's not an argument I'm sympathetic with, perhaps to my detriment as a DM. What do you guys think? Should I be more worried? Is there more worry about the group pushing back on this and feeling like it's weird? No, no. I don't think so. I mean, it's open to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, really, one of my hallmarks as a DM is that I want really cool things to happen, but I'm not looking for someone to be the chosen one. I don't need a Luke Skywalker. I want everybody to have that coolness. So if somebody wants to rework their character and you just want to throw out some guidelines for them to do that, strictly with the rules or perhaps your own homebrew tweak, then I think that's solid. I, I think I can only make the game more interesting rather than saying, no, I'm sorry, you're locked into this like you've signed a mortgage. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. There is. I, I love the idea personally. I love the idea of characters wanting to revamp their characters. My only thing for me, and this this would go to my style of DMing because I love story. I have two examples right off the top of my head. First is Sir Scar. When the whole Amber Temple fiasco happened and he accepted the dark gift, I threw it out there to him. I was like, dude, if you want to go Oathbreaker, let's do this. And I would have allowed him to completely just literally flip over the subclass. And, and now you have an Oathbreaker Paladin, right? With with those those prepared spells and blah, blah, blah. That, that is also how I would have handled it. Yeah. I would have given that option as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And that I totally want that. The other one would be when I started to play with the idea, and not because I am at all bored with Beam in any way. I love the character. I can I'm continuing to be a character, but I was I was playing into like let's let's build off more of the story that's happening. And we had 
you know, we're battling these gigantic forces, the ti- this titanic struggle of good versus evil versus the world exploding, right? I mean, this is big stuff. And he was starting to have these these uh, dark nights of the soul. Should I take up the sword? Should I fight the evil? Should I be in the fray, not just a buff character in essence? And then we visited the militant order of Bahama, Tom, uh, Sir Morton's order. And I was starting to play with the idea in story of, do I multi-class? Do I start to change over? Do I do something? Not in a sense of boredom, but sometimes the character might just, for story reasons, again, they might want to change it because they want to add to the story. And what's cooler than the person who now had to, they had to change themselves in some way, right? To to take on this next threat. Did you wish I'd pushed you to do that? Because I know you had asked you, you had asked the DM me yeah. if your God wanted you to do it. And I'm like, bro, I am not making that decision for you. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's, and I, I respected that because I respected that you respected that we both respected that I respected that you did, right? But the, <laughs> it was like, no, because for me, for me, as yeah. a as a player, I was totally throwing it out there that I was cool in that moment of allowing, quote, God, Dawa, to guide me. And I was throwing that to the DM. That is a big football to throw to the DM. And Thorne and I are understanding each other more as DMs and players, but that's a big one. So he threw it back and he said, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm cool with. And I was fine with that. And I started to play with it because I actually started to look into what does a multi-class of cleric pally look like. And it really becomes completely unoptimized and, and just useless. Oh. Like I just be I would be wasting levels at that point for things. Hold you know? on. Doesn't your divine smite work off of your cleric spells too? Uh no, divine smite. No, that I mean, yeah, you could probably burn any spell slot, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so so there's the thing. You take a level of power, then you get a divine smite and you're a cleric with fifth level spells and you can pop five D eight. I think it, I out. think it is just element. No, yeah, it might be. It. But regardless, I still would have multiclassed because, as we know, I don't care about min-maxing and I don't care about necessarily an optimized build. I care that I really dig this character with his yeah. con dump stat like Roderick or whatever, right? So, And you're yeah. still welcome to do it if you want to. If, if, you, so, if yeah, you want to do that, you're still welcome. play with that idea. And then I you know, started training with a longsword and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it's for story reasons that the character might also be coming a little bit bored. Not bored, but they want to change things up. So... I want to kind of throw this out there, though. We, we're all comfortable with retooling changes. What if someone wants to do something like, I don't know, I'm going to say a dramatic example. What if I came to you, Dave, and I said, you know what? Hawk wants to retool himself. I'm going to be a barbarian up to level 7, and now that I'm 12, I'm taking 5 fighter level. Would you allow that? You mean retroactively? Yes. Um, I might That's be open. I might be open to it. Again, for me, my style, my question to the player is always going to be like, okay, what's the reason for it? You know, if your reason is I like, let's say the coffee lock thing. Well, I just want to be a coffee lock. I'd be like, well, that's kind of eh. like, that's not really helpful. Why is your character doing this? Like, let's add to the story that we're telling. If Hawk did that, but retroactively, that would be a tough one. I would say more like going forward, you know, but I don't know. Cause you didn't do that. Are you planning on doing? That? No, absolutely not. Um, 
But is this your way you're throwing me on the spot in the recording to see what I'll say? I'm like, yeah, I could max the shit out of this. But <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I've heard of like other stories, like uh, other DMs where they're like, well, my wizard wants to become a sword mage and they weren't. Or my the cavalier wants to turn into uh, an eldritch knight. And those, while those are dramatic changes, I think the most important thing in that equation is there is some story mechanism that holds to the continuity of the universe. Rather than they walked into a closet, changed a hat, put on different pants, came out. Because then you're kind of crossing the fine line between flexibility and cheese. Yeah, I like that tone because, again, it's all about that story thing. I would say if something like that were to occur, let's say Hawk came and said, I want to be fighter, and you want to do retroactive. I would start to kind of go back and forth with you as to, okay, how can we make this happen? And maybe it's not an immediate, all of a sudden, next game, you're 7-5, but next game, you're, you know, 11 and 1. And little by little, something is happening, or you meet someone or some mentor, and they start training you in some way, or something like that, or the spirit of Kavan, because we're running with that storyline, right? Something like that. And this little, like, this morphing, this training of this character uh, that might be kind of cool, too, to allow you to revamp, but also to serve the story as well. So it feels more organic. I mean, it is kind of a tricky one because, like, and just to explain, in case the listeners don't know, the Coffee Lock is a combination of Warlock Sorcerer, where as written, and WotC has taken some steps that allow the DM to basically disallow this. But as written in the beginning, you could basically get a, a capability that, me, that meant you didn't have to sleep anymore. And you couldn't be forced to sleep either. You didn't, never longer had to take a long rest and you no longer had to sleep. Which meant you could use your warlock spells, which recharge every short rest, to build up spell points as a sorcerer, which you can use to cast any spell. And you could basically build infinite spell points by never sleeping. That is, <laughs> that, that is the coffee lock. So you could basically have infinite spells as a coffee lock. So that's what we're talking about there. Now, this is a tricky one Tony's asking about because immediately my question is, okay, does this player want to do this because that's really what they want to play? Or is this player just looking to build the most optimized version? And then I need to ask a philosophical question. Is that a problem? Right. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. The coffee lock's very extreme and limited, unlimited leveled spells is a pretty nasty thing to have to deal with in the game. Where, where the rubber hits the road, though, is, and I've had this happen sometimes, and sometimes I haven't handled it as well, is when you get a player who isn't really interested in the story reason, they just want to, and perhaps this min-max is one of them, yeah. they just want to make the change because they, they think that'll be more, they just want to rebuild their deck, essentially. A lot of deck-building type players tend to want to do this. And you hit the point of, like, he's like, look, I want to do this or I don't want to play. Like, it's not fun for me if I can't do this. And you can tell the very conversation you're having is kind of ruining the game for this person. Because mm. some people don't like having the conversation about why do you want to do this thing? You can see this in work. You can see this in gaming. Some people just don't like the extra stress of I need to justify why I want to do this. So where I would stand on this is ideally I would like to work out a story-based reason. Well, one, I'd like to figure out what they want to do and try to figure out kind of a more natural way to do it if I could. Yeah. Like, I like what Dave's saying. Maybe, you know, you're going to change more slowly than just everything all at once. If the player really wanted to do it, I'd probably just let them do it. And I am and I probably should develop a story reason around it, but it just becomes a matter of this is what this player needs to do to enjoy this game and how far am I willing to stretch 
to let this player enjoy this game and can that have a negative impact on the other players? You know, because mm-hmm. I'm not one, you know, you're not going to want a player to quit because they couldn't have the character they wanted to have. You know, so that balance is hard to strike. I think ultimately the most important factors here are as a DM, are you still enjoying this game where you don't feel like you're getting browbeat by your players who are coming in and they're like, yeah. they're like, let me just drop this on the table. Like, this is what you're going to do for me. And the same, because <laughs> we've all been there. Let's just be honest. And I, I, I love, I love getting emails and stuff from player from DMs who are like, well, I, I wouldn't tolerate this in my game. I have complete control of everything. Well, that's fantastic. That is like, you know, God bless. Congratulations <laughs> on your ring of people controlling or that innate you know, ability you were born with, but that's not the way most games run. Okay. <laughs> Some games, honestly, I could have been like, all right, and you open the treasure chest and there's egg rolls in there. And they're like, yay, egg rolls. That's great. And they're all happy and they'd be talking about that in a week. And some games, they could look at some magical items and like, uh, I was really hoping it shot radiant bolts and not fire blasts. Uh, so <laughs> it hundred percent varies table to table. But with that said, you got to kind of feel this out and say, okay, I don't want to approach the player and be like, okay, I need a book report. I need a good reason why you're going to do this. I need a story. I, I need, I need motivations to DM to do this. That's probably not the best way to handle it. Unless they're into it. If you guys can collaborate and fun together, great, do that. But if not, then like, you know, just try to work it out so it makes sense at the table. They really like, hey, I'm changing my deck. Let's just agree on what we're going to say so this makes sense. And if it's not too disruptive to the table, go for it. Yeah, Do you think, I mean, could it could it be too disruptive to the table? Like, what would you look for if you were worried about that? What would be the red flags you'd see if it was disruptive to your other players? This is clearly I'm blind to this. <laughs> blind, stubborn, same thing. Well, I mean, in 5e, honestly, I don't feel like there's as many positions because the characters are really so balanced. Like if Rodder could come to me in Storm King's Thunder and say, you know what? Screw being a bard. They're garbage. I want to be a rogue. And literally no one has ever said that. Like bards are (laughs) one of the coolest classes. That's it. But if you want damage output, rogue is definitely better. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Continue. Rodder, Rodder could do everything though. That was pretty fantastic. But with that said, I feel like that would be, tricky that would have been hard because Rodder wrote a backstory about how he was trained his family his persona all these things and now we're not just changing your class and i'm giving you a new hat and a new weapon and i'm taking away your spells and now that custom magic item i gave you now doesn't function like that because that doesn't really fit your character nearly as much as like the rapier of secrets might have i would have to then give you but it, it would have required us retroactively changing the story. And that's where I think we'd run into some problems. Tony, that's a great point. And I think it goes to a question I was going to throw out there, but I think this will be a better way to put it rather than just painting with a very broad brush. So we talk a lot about knowing your players and knowing your table and the types of players and the what brings people to the table. So me, it's it's very obvious that I love story and I love characters and I love narratives and that's what I, yay, right? So I would be the guy, like, if we found egg rolls 
and it was germane to the story in some way. I'd be like, oh, that's really cool. We found egg rolls, you know. But I came to you with this big backstory as to why my character, why he had the the training he had, why he had the stats he had. I literally had passages of the poem that I had lifted as the vocal, the, the verbal component of every single one of my spells. So that type of character, that type of player, me, is probably not going to be the person that's just going to come and be like, hey, I want to be a rogue instead. I just really love that sneak attack. I think I just really want to get that. You know, what I think you're going to get from that more is, let's say, the min-max player or the power game type player where they're going to, they give you, I'm, I'm this guy, I come from this land, uh, I have a sword. You know, that's the backstory you get. They're the ones that are not going to necessarily care about the story, but also they're not going to have written themselves into that that narrative in that way. They're not going to have uh, as concretely put themselves into this is who I am as a character and this is my arc. Does that make sense? And what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's that there is a lot of truth to that. Like you're this problem tends to arise from like you would only have this problem if somehow the character class you chose, you didn't feel really supported your arc, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would have said, had I had, uh, like, I think Tasha's, it might be in Tasha's, but they have a lot of cool new bard subclasses. Yeah. And one of them is actually like even closer to the way Roderick was. So if we had been continuing play, I might have come to Tony and said, hey, man, what do you think? This subclass here really fits the story a little bit more. Can we, but the way I would do that is how can we play with, how can we in, investigate this arc? How can we look into this story? Like, what are the, what are the plans? You know, and that's kind of how I approach it both as a DM and a player. I want to, I want to collaborate. I want to say, okay, how is this going to happen? Let's, this is fun. Let's do this. Let's, let's brainstorm. There are two, there are two methods that this can be approached by. Uh, one is requires a little bit of house ruling and the other one's more extreme. Also, with some heavy house ruling. I guess that's my style. I, you house know, ruling. Yeah, I exactly. like extreme. Okay, let's talk extreme. You want to go to the extreme one first? So the first one, way no, no, is no, house ruling. The second way is also house ruling. Right. But I want to hear this extreme one. So make the, them listen to the other one first, then the extreme. <laughs> the more delicate one is, for example, if you were an, an evoker and you're like, well, I really wish I could dabble a little bit into some of the abjuration abilities. Just hypothetically. You're still an arcane class. It's intelligence based. It's not too far out of the realm. So perhaps I can introduce an item or some training, perhaps, that would allow you to take, instead of your sixth level invoker power, you could take that as a sixth level abjuration power. But I would advise make that open to the table unless that's something really special, something you did for yourself. Like you went on this quest to get this one book. Making it open to everyone's probably the smoother of the two options. The extreme option is how I'm going to handle this Storm King's letter. If Roderick's like, I'm tired of being a sickly old guy and I want to be a warrior. I'm well, a barbarian. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's really, really tough, Dave. And this is how I would have handled that. Someone like Dr. Elios, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Someone like Helios would have, like, I would have made you pay for it. I would have made you give up resources from your game to make this happen. And then I, he, I don't know, he would have had like a magic booth and he would have put you in there and turned the boxes all around and Alakazam would have came out. 
You would have put me in Superman 2 in the Red Sun uh, Crystal Chamber. Yeah, except for first the crystals, it would have came out with powers. Hey, if Richard Donner has done it, then it is totally fair game in terms of good storytelling, okay? Absolutely. Because as my girlfriend keeps smacking me in the face with, she's like, you told me this game had no limitations. Why do I keep hearing about limitations? And I'm like, Ugh. because really, what are limitations? I want to run your girlfriend in a game. I think this could be a lot of fun. (laughs) She's tough. I I can handle that. I think this sounds interesting. I want to throw her in a city and just see what she does. No, you want to. This is what I want to actually do because we talked about this. I would love to do three different one shots (laughs) of each of of the three YZ of each of us running a game and uh, and seeing what happens. Anyway. That's just a little brainstorm. Go ahead. But, I mean, I would have let you change class, move your points around the whole nine yards. First of all, you'd have to give me something to make this happen. I just right. wouldn't let you be like, hey, can you just do this? And I'm like, sure, buddy, get me a Coke and some large fries, and this deal's done. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Elias would have looked at you and been like, sir, empty your pockets on the table. I want like the buttons, the keys, like really, like like how much gold do you have? Yeah, or even uh, I need a special, I need a certain object, I need something, and it's it's the it's the ultimate fetch quest. You need to go find this to be able to do what you want to do. You know? I, how I, bad I do you want to do this? You could make it the object of a personal quest. That's absolutely yeah. one way to do it. Yeah. And uh, as I said, I love free material. I like your idea better. I would actually make you pay for it plus that. That's my final answer. <laughs> it had to be a degree of gold handed over or whatever I felt was valuable to you. So you could just be like changing your freaking stats around every weekend. And then you're like, no, no, no. I'm next character this time. You know, yeah. I, I am dead serious. If you brought me that request and I was running Roderick, I would one of the options I would weigh out there would be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Like, how about we do this? Elias has a potion, and that potion lets you turn into this barbarian for eight hours. Yeah, whatever, some random time. And then there's a cost yeah. to it, right? It starts or, to yeah, little maybe, by maybe little. Maybe six plus four hours or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Exactly it starts how long. to wear away at your uh, at your psyche. It starts to like well, it, just like Jekyll and Hyde, right? It starts to you know, that temptation. You could play into it as or, well, or you just or you throw in a, an alignment shift. Mister Hyde's not a good not a good person. You could argue Doctor Jekyll isn't either, but yeah. you know you can make you know Mister Hyde's pretty chaotic evil. So now okay, you get this power, but for this time you're playing a chaotic evil character, and now your lawful good character, your lawful good character on the other side has to deal with the consequences of that. That's a hell of a story reason. That's a hell of a story reason. Isn't that? I mean, that's all great drama. I think. I think that could be that's really part, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. In game, once upon a time, Thorne was playing in one of my four e games, and he was playing a wizard and got kind of bored with the mage. And I'm like, I got you. So I had some magical. I forget if he was messing with portals or what happened. But something really catastrophic happened. And what happened? I allowed. He shifted periodically into different characters. I believe I brought you the characters. I believe I brought you. Hey, I want to. I want to play these three characters somehow. This is also the the one he pitched for the Slavers Bay campaign initially. Yes, this is this is always something I, I kind of dig. The idea that hey, what if I could shape change into other characters entirely? The old castle was it Castlevania three? You could do that in. Yeah, actually, that's absolutely correct. 
So the point Ooh, of this or Altered Beast. Remember Altered Beast? Yeah. Idea. Sorry. Okay, sorry, go. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would go Werewolf 2 if I could throw fireballs, but I'm getting off time. Yeah, right. Yes! So I would say to him, okay, me and this, this adventure, which of these characters are you going to be? And he'd say, I want to be Rockford, the Eldritch Knight. No problem. He was also a Gensai. So he would champion that person. He was locked in that form. Until his long rest. I think, didn't we, I believe we actually had a random roll. I think it was literally roll a die, roll a D6, one, two, three, four, five, six on one of those characters. I was sympathetic to that, where I know you wanted to play the monk sometimes because you were like a three-person monk. And I'm like, oh, sorry, buddy. We're going to wait two more weeks before you can play uh, the Eldritch Knight. <laughs> Stuck with the wizard again. Oh, shucks. <laughs> that was... That was a lot of fun, though. And we, that campaign didn't go on real long, but I kind of felt like that. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's a really fun way to play a character. And, you know, hey, if you're min-maxer, although I will tell you, if you have a min-maxer, they're going to try to predict who will be most effective at every every day when they wake up as far as what they plan to do. Well, I mean, is that any different than what spells are you preparing for the day, you know? Yes. I understand what you're saying, but like, but it's like they're also like going to bring idea, gonna like, bring you like, five, like as degree. They're going to bring you five fully optimized builds. Yeah. Yes. So you're going to run into a lot of the same problems. So what I did with that was I did build three fully optimized builds, but I'm pretty sure Tony's right. We did we, there were there, we did make sure I could play all three, but the idea was random. Roll a die, and that's the guy you wake up, and, and like. Or maybe it was I came in and could pick the character, but I know there was a random element to it, so I couldn't always predict, hey, I want to be the monk when we're going to be doing a lot of face-to-face combat, and I want to be this other guy when we're doing this other kind of thing. Mm. It was more, like, like I wasn't able to, I, I optimized the builds, but I wasn't able to optimize who I had in every situation. Yeah. I believe initially it was a, like an E6, and then after you turned into the one person, you were more likely to turn into the other two people maybe, until yeah. you gone through all of them, in which case it reset. It was something to that effect. Yeah, that does sound. Man, this is this is years ago too, but it was it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad you let me do it. How many DMs would let me play a character like that? How like, many DMs would work with me to make it work? You know. But yeah. you know what though? I mean, again, how many different campaigns we have a chance to run? You, we were uh, at the oh. edge of the heroic tier. You were tenth level, ironically. You wanted to see how this worked, and you know what? Like, I don't really care for this particular character. Well, that doesn't that's never really skin off anybody's nose. And, you know, it was that might have been part of it. I think it was part of it. The other part of it is even I'm feeling this right now in fifth edition. We're playing through all these campaigns. But like I've like for the last like year, I've only played these three characters without being able to build another character. We were just able to finally build a new character as we're starting this as we're about to start Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. But I do get like I do start to feel like but there's so many classes I can play and I'm locked into this guy for three years now as we run through these campaigns like. I but like college. it for three reasons, but I start feeling like, when will I ever get to play this other thing I like, you know? I've wanted to play a monk for, like, five years. It hasn't one happened. Shots. One shot. Always <laughs> one shot. We don't do one shot. We don't shots. do enough one shots. I know. <laughs> we should do more one shots. We definitely should do more one shots. Let's revisit that after you play my Christmas one shot. We'll see how that goes. Existing characters, though. A one shot is one character for one game, I think, to yeah. me. And that is another that's another point, too. It's it's somewhat of a tangent a little bit, but it is a point because we've talked about it. And especially now, because we're running up to where we're going to be running our holiday games. And we always tell people, you know, holiday games are a great way to it's the palate cleanser. 
right? It's it's a little bit, it can be a reset, it can revitalize in the same way that bringing in a new character or adding somebody to your table can. But one shots in the same way. If the 10 levels is a long time, even if you're, even if you're leveling every, every single session, it's still a lot. And after a while, you sometimes want something new. As much as I love whatever, whatever meal, sometimes I want something different too, right? Yeah. So the idea of some one shots in the middle where you can bring a new character and let's just have a fun adventure, you know, and who knows, that might turn into something. Maybe they want to take that character and build them into your existing campaign. And the artificer, let's say, in Larry's game, uh, has to head off and, and, you know, do his research or whatever it might be. And this new character starts to tie it along. I don't know. But the things like one shots can be helpful in that way, too, to give you that little bit of a breather. Because absence, as we have found, especially in gaming, does make the heart grow fonder. You know? <laughs> so before we get the final thoughts, anything else on how you can make combat less boring? For this guy we talked about some ways earlier we didn't get super specific though i mean we talked about basically using other ways to damage him we talked about using you know kind of the way you can focus on his friends to take them out so he's now one-on-one although that's not a lot of fun for his friends we have to keep that in mind like what are specific things you do to make combat more interesting for a min-maxer put him in an anti-magic field Ooh. as an artificer that hey. will that will ruin hey his welcome day. to yes. welcome to the beholder's lair Good job with your screwdriver, douche. <laughs> your sonic screwdriver no longer makes sense. I hope that armor class isn't magically infused. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I, I would handle that with uh, how I'd handle most of my problems, like by hitting it with a fireball, and since the artificer doesn't have proficiency in tech saves. I actually found that what really spices up combat is now you put the real high threat out there, and then when a lot of damage gets splashed on the table, that everybody kind of like, you know, looks up and goes, oh, shit. Yeah. The I butthole just blew- tightens a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, and then right following that, counterspell the healing spell. Ooh, <laughs> that's nasty. Well, actually, counterspelling, counterspelling his, his leveled spells is not a bad idea. I would say I think there might be something in that armor that lets you pull the hole if you make your save, you don't take any damage from the fireball. I would assume that a min-max player probably has fire damage locked down, but, you know, synaptic static is a real good one for dealing psychic damage in the same way as a fireball. Poison gas spells often get around a lot of things. Yeah, things that that are going to constantly be bothering them, you know, an area effect that's going to constantly be bothering them. Yeah, and it's not even that you want to constantly – you do want to constantly bother them, but you don't want to do the same thing all the time or that gets lame – but just start to figure out what are their weaknesses, because no matter how tough the class is, it has weaknesses. In every third or fourth fight, bring out something that totally abuses this weakness. Don't yeah. do it every fight. I mean, we've said before, character, players make optimized characters to be to show off and kick ass. So fine, but this player's already bored with that. So every third or fourth fight, bring out something optimized to shut his to, to basically take advantage of his weaknesses and shut his abilities down and just beat him up. Yeah. Or as we said, I, I really say too, like it's a party of three. That's not hard to drop. No. Uh, a party well, you don't want to be the other two players who are a little softer, who are a little bit a little bit more <laughs> enjoying it. You don't want to turn around and punish them for their for their min mock maxers players. That is actually a legitimate concern. Like you can do it once or twice, but really if the min maxers board, you kinda gotta well, hit the only, 
a lot of these things that we're talking about are not something that you want to, because you also don't want to constantly always challenge them either, like you just said, because no, they yeah. won't be able to show Every off. Three or four fights. But this, all of these ideas that we threw out in the beginning and now are ways that in one of your next games, start throwing these things out, but see how this player reacts. Because as Thorin said in the beginning, it's fine to have somebody who wants to optimize a build and they want to be Thor and they want to be able to punch people down and all this kind of stuff. And that's fun. But if they're not willing to then be part of that story and take their lumps too when they get, you know, they, they meet a guy that's a little bit too big for them at this point, that is a good time to, un, to maybe reevaluate what's happening at the table too. Yeah. Because that can easily turn into something that's not an enjoyable experience because then you're, you're going to be constantly catering to this person or they're just going to be constantly, you know, bored. Let's say you got to watch out for the red flags. Yeah. But exactly. it might not be that situation yet. I don't want to assume. I, I don't know. Either. Not every min maxer is like that. But these, these things, cha- throwing out these big challenge things are a good way to gauge. I think that. Okay. Right before going into my final thoughts, I would uh, kind of just add a little bit to what Thorne was saying on high difficulty all the time. needs to fit a flavor of the game. And if that's the flavor they're looking for, people are going to hate it. That's absolutely true. With that, to what Dave was saying, it really depends. You, you, a measure of a character is looking at defeat sometimes, but it really also is contingent on how much are you playing. And this is a, it's a formula mm. I've always run in my head. So if, when I was running Storm King's Thunder, I'm like, wow, I could dust these punks. Well, if you're not going to play in my game for six weeks, because we have four other games, or even four weeks you play monthly, getting your ass handed to you and then waiting for a month to do anything about it is rough. The, more frequent the games, higher difficulty, the bigger opportunities for that, and tighter XP. That's where those are. In those wider games, like where I was doing Storm King's Thunder monthly, well, you know, you were probably solidly leveling up sometimes once a week or every other week. Because, yeah. you know, you each one of those adventures, you finish a milestone board. Like, hey, we just cleared the Stone Giant Canyon. Well, shit, that's a level, folks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, no, you got to clear the Stone Giant Canyon and the Frost Giant Canyon, the the iceberg, to get a level. It's like, geez. <laughs> you know, one other thing I'll throw out there, and just, just as far as making combat less boring, don't underestimate the effect terrain has on combat. Like, so for especially for a min-maxer, having combat that is, for example, broken up by stone walls, or maybe there's slippery portions where they could fall and wind up in a lava pit or wind up in a frozen lake where they're freezing, taking freezing damage, which are also things they can use against the opponents. Taking them into legendary lairs and using those lair actions that do weird stuff, like, for instance, like, like Green Dragon lair actions do, like, Blade Barrier beholders can pop a sensor out anywhere they want and fire one of their eye beams from it. These location focused things really do shake up combat. So you should do that kind of, you know, like in maybe, I don't know if you're playing theater of the mind or if you're playing on a map, but if you're playing on a map, make the map more interesting, add levels, add obstacles, make it harder to target someone from across the field. I mean, if you have a min-maxer using, a, using like, say, Eldritch Blast or some, or Firebolt even, or anything that's, like, distance-focused, number one thing you should do is put a wall in the middle of the battlefield so they just can't sit back 300 yards away and just pick people off. Make it harder. You know, make make, make them deal with things. Make them deal with obstacles. Make them deal with difficult terrain. Make the, and not only deal with, but they can also use that to their advantage because a good min-maxer will often find cool things to do with that that entertains them. So don't 
you know, we talked about kind of the way that the enemies can help, the way you can go after where they're weak, the way you can kind of basically beat them up. But also throw in stuff that makes the combat more interesting on the terrain side, maybe on the puzzle side. Maybe there are things they can activate that deal damage in the room. Those sorts of things tend to help a min-maxer have fun. I remember, for example, one of the, the big min-maxers we've talked about in, in this campaign before, who actually wound up dropping out because he didn't like the roleplay side of things. He just wanted to play 4E like a magic deck. He loved stuff like if you could like shoot a barrel and blow up a bunch of enemies like you can in a video game, he loved that kind of thing. Like That's the kind of thing min-maxers tend to like. Or they have a nook they can get to where they can get safe shots off. Or the enemies in the nook where they can't target them. they got to figure out how do they get to them make them think critically about the battlefield that tends to be something min max was really like doing so there's a last tip on kind of how to make it challenging and more interesting for that guy all right guys i've been going on for a little while ready for some final thoughts indeed what are your final thoughts on how do you deal with board players well we've talked a lot about tactics and how perhaps this dm is and we're speculating is running into uh, as a formula with him out of creatures style of combat and if this is rolling out with a video game, I can see how that gets tried. Um, as I've mentioned before, three players is tough to carry a campaign in terms of all combat, in terms of role play, in terms of who's doing what kind of planning and thinking. As Dave pointed out, nobody gets an off game in a, th- in a three-person show. <laughs> like, everyone's just got to be like B.A. Baracus at all times. Also, consider like different ways to make them handle these encounters. Combat, they're like, aha, time for combat. Like, nah, not so fast. It's diplomacy. It's sneaking, intimidating, uh, scouting. Uh, Perhaps you want to maneuver away from them. Make them do some ability score checks. Don't make everything just cut and dry. This is cut and dry, and if the players feel like they already know what to expect, like if that player knows, like, hey, I'm going to run out, whenever this is on this board, whenever that DM drops, I'm going to drop back in the pocket, and just blast them with my whatever and take zero damage to get bored. Don't let that happen. Yeah, because that'll only last for so long before it, yeah, before it's it, it's easy mode, as you said before, Tony. Um, I will reiterate, I would say try to find out exactly if they are bored and, and is it what is it about it that's being bored? Because again, I'll say with the artificer, that's a that's an interesting class to get bored with. You know, champion fighter barbarian those are the ones that you can get bored with in some ways right uh artificer that's that's got a lot of fbiddly bits that you can play around with but regardless also a lot of retraining artificer is oh very my god all the time training. yeah all the, i mean there's several places to do it but like you said artificer we i think they can uh swap out cantrips and stuff too yeah, so but- well, I that, know they can, and they're the only one who can do it. No yeah. other class gets to freely swap cantrips, at least not without maybe Tasha's lets them do it, but base only yeah. artificer gets. Yeah, to do you it. only gain the cantrips, yeah. you know, as you level kind of thing. So I will put out the three uh, examples that I had that aren't necessarily bored, but things that might help depending on why the person might not be as engaged. So the first one was the Fiangol, the dwarf fighter idea. Where after a while, I cast axe or I cast fist gets a little stale. So I gave him the familiar. I gave him Hugin, right, as this thing with new abilities that he could start to scout with. He could he could be more involved in other aspects of it aside from, okay, things on the board. I need to take this guy out. Uh, there's Hasbin, who was the wizard that kind of retired himself. He had gotten to a point and the player wanted something fresh, something new. 
So Scott, retired husband, came in with Adelard. I thought it was a great thing. I thought it really revitalized the game. It brought some freshness. And I think he really enjoys that character because it allows him to get into the fray as well. Um, and then there's my example with my character Beam, where I'm not bored with the character, but for story, I started to throw out ideas that maybe I'm going to change some things up. Maybe I'm going to revamp the character. Maybe I'm going to change them. Maybe I'm going to multi-class them. Who knows? But that wasn't because of boredom. That was because I wanted to 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 kind of add to the story and see where where it took us. So those are my thoughts. Kind of find out if they're actually bored with it or and if so, why? What is the reasoning for the boredom? So for me, my final thoughts are, you know, number one, if you're a player and you have a min maxer who's bored with combat, take a close look at your combats. One, look at how you can challenge them Two, look at how you can hurt them. Like, I mean, don't be afraid to kill them. If they, they say combat's too easy, well, that's, that's yeah, that's a paddling. Uh, <laughs> player would come to me and say my combat's too easy. I think I'd be like, I think they'd, they'd probably hit zero hit points next combat. That, that can be done. But also look for ways to get around their defenses. You know, no one's immune to everything. Even if they have the ability where like, okay, if I make my save, my deck save, if I make a deck save, I take no damage, well, fine. Hit him with a con save and the poison gas. You know, come at them from other angles, basically. Change up the battlefield, make it more interesting. And if they want to change characters and they're bored with the current character, I am 100% for it. Work with them. Get the story-based reason, as Dave and Tony talked about. You know, find a way to make it work within the logic of the game. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, if a player wants to change up their character, I don't think DM should react like, well, no, you're stuck in that character. I think you want to work with them on it because you want everyone to have a good time. Do look out for the red flags. It's sometimes this is tied to a player who's just bored, doesn't really want to be in the game. You know, you might find that when you make combat harder, now they're like, oh, now you're cheating. So that kind of thing can, can mean you're dealing with a more complicated problem. Just keep an eye out for that. So that's it for my final thoughts. Guys, you know, I, I'm not bored with this yet. How about you? Nope. I want to stay as DM Dave. Currently. I can I cannot yes. wait to break out some of these new characters and play some of these new games. Oh, 2022 is looking uh, up right here. Bixie the Boom Goblin yeah. has not yet made anything go boom. Bixie very depressed about this. It'll happen. I just see it happening. I see it happening. Good stuff, guys. And for all you listening from home, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Three Wise DMs. If you like what you heard, it would really help us if you can give us a five-star rating in your podcast platform of choice. Share it with your friends. Let folks know. Share it on social media. That kind of thing really helps us grow by leaps and bounds, and we appreciate any help you can give us there. Now, if you have your own question you want to hear us talk about, and as you heard, we just answered Larry H.'s question at, I think, great length over an hour. <laughs> so if you have your own question you'd like to hear us talk about please send it in to threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website threewisedms.com put it in the what's your problem field or come talk to us on facebook instagram and twitter we're active in all those places we are always looking for new episode ideas in there feel free to ask us questions at any of these spots that's it for this week we'll see you next time three wise dms